boundaries for me represent my personal space. And when I say my personal space, it could be physical, but it's also emotional. It's my taking care of me and my worth. Um, it's, it's recognizing that I am worthy and that I, um, I have the final say on how um, people love me, how people um, treat me, how people care for me. This is Katie. And I'm Laura. And welcome to the Radical Resilience Podcast. Hello, Katie. Hi, Laura. How are you? I am so grateful to be here with you. It is always a centering experience to just find my way to our little Zoom chats and uh get to talk to our guests, I always feel like it is the touch point of the week that I need, like the cornerstone on which to build all the rest of the positivity. Oh, that really made my heart feel so good. I, I love it. Also, um, I have gratitude to do it to like, I have in like infinite gratitude to be doing the project with you and working with you. But then I also, every time we have these guests on, um, uh, like I'm, I am a better person after each episode that we've recorded, which has been, I guess I, I mean, I knew the, I knew the people we were bringing on were awesome. And I knew the interviews would be awesome, but I, they've also all been life-changing, which has been like, I'm speechless actually at, at how incredible it's been. So Katie, tell me, how did you sleep last night? I, so I knew we were going to ask this question probably. And I was thinking about it like half an hour ago. And I was like, I think I slept maybe too hard. If that's a thing, like uh, I slept so soundly that I don't remember going to bed. And when I woke up, I just felt like I had slept a million years. So I think uh, maybe I need it. I don't know. Maybe my body needed it, but what I'm glad I had it. And I'm glad that I slept and I'm glad I didn't have like anxiety or nightmares or anything, but it was weird to just have conked out that much. It could also just kind of be like emotional release and everything for a lot of what's going on and just kind of getting to surrender to the bed and just be like, you have no responsibilities right now. Go release. So that's what I think it was. So it was an uneventful sleep, but it, but it was a sleep. How did you sleep last night? You know what? I really want to just acknowledge for a second that what you just said about the, the release, you know, the permission to just be in bed and, and the release of the emotions, the release of the responsibilities and like, just being, being like, well, this, this day is done. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I crawled into bed at first. I was like, this is too early to be in bed. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm in bed. So it's not too early to be here because here I am. Yeah, exactly. And then your body just takes over from there. It does what it needs to do. And apparently what your body needed to do was just conk out. I have had like a really wild ride the last like four days. I enrolled in a leadership course, a a team management and leadership course that is just the velocity of this course is ridiculous. And the amount of information and people and ideas that are coming at you, I keep telling everybody that I'm in the course with that I've been talking to, that it's like drinking from a fire hose. Like you're trying to like, just get a little, you know, you're taking little sips and all of a sudden you've got like, like all the communication (laughs) and ideas and excitement and, and, you know, and I'm already a person who kind of lives in that world of ideas and excitement and, and 
communication coming at me from all different angles. You know, I, my work, my work situation is that I have two laptops open and two additional monitors and, you know, I'm working with two companies simultaneously that like to communicate in two separate ways all the time. And I, and then I have like my personal computer and the work that you and I do together and like all of these other things. And now I'm adding this course and all of these projects that go along with this course. And so it has been a wild ride, but the good news is, is so far it's been very motivating and invigorating. And so last night when I slept, I had dreams about miracles. Like I'm not even joking you, like as though I had magic and magic was happening and miracles were happening, which is very woo woo for me. Like, you know me, like I, like I let, I do enjoy like a good, you're more science data. I am. I am. I like, listen, (laughs) I got my witch hats and I do have my candles and I do like, you know, I do like following aesthetically. I do like following esoteric things. Like I love my, my witch city pin from Salem and I, you know, follow house witch on the Instagram because it looks like (laughs) like the pottery barn of witches. But I, but in terms of like, my actual life, like I tend to play in the more practical, but I definitely was like having dreams about being a miracle maker and having magical miracle powers last night. Like it was really, and I don't usually remember dreams like that. It was like, boom, I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm ready to tackle this day. Whatever's going to send at me. And, uh, that's so awesome. Yeah. It was a really, it was good because I feel like it, when I think about what the brain is doing while you're sleeping, right? Sorting through all of the things that you've been thinking, feeling, seeing, doing, like, you, you know, your brain is very active at night. It is an, it is the most active that your brain is, is while you're sleeping. It's when you're, when your brain doesn't have to think about doing things like processing information coming in, like through your eyes, ears, nose, touch, whatever, doesn't have to focus on keeping you standing upright, doesn't have to focus on engaging in conversation or remembering your schedule or whatever. Like when you're asleep is when the brain takes all of that information and and sorts through it, you know, puts it almost like putting things in filing cabinets. This is the long-term memory things I need to learn. These are the categories, you know, this person belongs in this category. That thing that I learned today belongs in that category. You know, it's where we do all of our organizing and it is the most busy that the brain is. And so when I think about dreams in that way, like sometimes it's not surprising when everything is crazy and you get anxious in, even in your dreams. But like, I feel like even though everything is crazy and busy, the fact that I was dreaming about making miracles last night, it means that it all has like a place and it all is making, it's like, it's a good place that I'm in right now. It's a good kind of crazy. And it's a positive energy that is, that's occurring for me while I'm diving into these new projects. And so Oh, I love this. Yeah, that was how I slept last night. Well, you shared that. I was like, well, first thought was like, well, my brain just quit or like <laughs> for low last night because it wasn't it wasn't separating any thoughts. It was done off. Um, and then the second thing I was thinking was um, that I love that you were leaning a little woo woo. Yeah. And then I thought the third thing was how perfect tonight's guest is for you to be in a place of miracles because she is someone yeah. out of every. So I know her. Uh, I've met her before. We've we're now really good friends in life, but, um, I met her through a lot of work that is incredible, empowering and, uh, uncomfortable and, you know, a lot of personal growth stuff and she'll share more, but she is someone that 
is an example of miracles and, you know, and all the work that we do. So I love, and she believes she is woo woo and out there. So what a time for you to be like potentially more open to receiving it all as we get ready for our guests. I'm in the space of miracles. Yeah. And meeting her is one. So we're already happening. I am a believer in miracles. I am. Um, that is definitely that is definitely a truth about me. So uh, let's not keep our guests waiting any longer. Well, we'll keep them waiting a little bit longer because we do have so many amazing projects that we are going to take a quick pause and tell you all about those projects. And when we come back, we're going to introduce you to today's guest. Life is always happening, nonstop, every moment. Things either feel as if they're coming together or they're falling apart. When you're on this wild ride, the falling apart moments can feel like the end of who you are. But with the proper skill set, these circumstances that break us down become the moments that awaken us, build our strength, and cause us to grow. To prepare your skill set, I created the Revolutionary Resiliency Course, challenging yourself to go within Dig deeper, make discoveries, and learn while being guided through the exercises in soul work. Together, we will build resilience that is not just radical, but revolutionary. Visit our website, RadicalResiliencePodcast.com to get started. I love you, and I'll see you there. And we are back, and we are so excited to introduce you to the miraculous Leslie Jane. Leslie is a professional cuddler, numerologist, wisdom guide, and seeker. In her lifetime, Leslie has worn many, many hats, all of which has have contributed to who she is today. However, it took betrayal and heartbreak, turning her world upside down. That was the opening that finally allowed her to learn everything that she needed, that she could find it within herself. Leslie believes that it doesn't really matter what she does as long as it comes from the heart and she does it with heaps of love. Today, Leslie shares her wisdom with anyone who asks through workshops, personal conversations, and cuddling. Though COVID has put a damper on that last bit of cuddling, she is greatly looking forward to the day when she can get back to hugging again. We are so looking forward to that day too, Leslie. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Leslie. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so excited for Laura to get to know you and all the listeners to hear your story and everything about you. I adore this woman and I'm excited to share her. (laughs) I am excited that we get to share you as well. And we're going to dive right in. And we ask all of our listeners to do a little reflection with us at the beginning of our podcast around the two words that we've chosen for the title of the podcast, which is radical and resilience. And the two words, like one of them is the my infusion of radical and Katie's infusion of resilience in the work that we brought before we started the podcast. But when we realized when we put them together, they create some unique combinations and uh, evoke different things in our guests. And so we would love for you to just share with us and with our listeners what the words radical and resilience bring up for you independently together, however it lands for you. What's there? So radical resilience. Well, radical is a word that I have used um, a lot in my last five years. One of the things that I did when I got my heart broken was radical forgiveness. So radical to me means that um, you you really 
taking a deep dive and you're, you're doing some intense, some really intense work with whatever it is that you're, that you're peering into. So that's what, what radical um, stands for, for me. And it's where transformation comes from. For myself, I really had to get radical to, to get things changing in my life. Um, Resilience. Wow. Um, That's bouncing back. Um, That has been part of my entire life. Mm. (laughs) Um, I've had so many things that, that have happened and um, recognize now that, you know, that was all part of um, what has got me to where I am today. And um, I believe that I crafted my life myself. So um, it's a good thing that that resiliency um, exists and that I was able to bounce back every single time. Yes. I can't wait to hear your story. It's It was a very compelling intro that I got to read, right? <laughs> like could be the beginning of a novel or like the jacket cover, right? And of the book you want to read. Leslie, I have a question that I want to ask kind of just to start off. So you have a personality that's often compared to like mine, where a lot of people think that you are like a million percent positive, a million percent happy. Uh, you're so giving, you're such like, you're such a lover. You're, you literally are just like, you're, you're just like leaking out of your body is kindness, compassion, love. Uh, you know, like if anything, the flaw would be that you like care too deeply and you love too hard and that you give too much, you know, like, so in a world where you're identified and, and not, not judged, but you're often like perceived that way that you're just this like, Oh, she's always happy. And she's always like, she doesn't know. She wouldn't know this. I'm curious about your journey and experiences with like losing yourself because you are seen as someone so confident in having so much self-worth and self-love and self-esteem. And I know personally that that same experience and I know because we have talked. So what, what has gone on in your life? Like with the sense of self-love and self, you know, worth and stuff like that and the journey of your voice, because you're someone who has a very big voice, but it's also been to the point where you had lost it. Absolutely. So my voice um, was stifled when I was four years old. I didn't recognize that until um, about two years ago. When I was four years old, I was standing outside screaming and my mom threw a glass of water in my face. She said she read it somewhere. (laughs) The doctor told her never to do that again. Um, But I think at that moment in my life um, at four, realized that I wasn't allowed to speak up. I wasn't allowed to have a voice. So I didn't really have a voice. You are right. I am that person that, that oozes positivity. People were surprised when I got divorced the first time. I had been married for 14 and a half years and we had five children together. Uh, and everybody thought that it was the perfect happy marriage. I suffered verbal abuse in that relationship and totally lost myself. I am a person who has in the past in all of my relationships given up who I am to support the person that I love. After this last, and I've had three major relationships in my lifetime. So I've had the, the first marriage was 14 and a half years. The second relation lasted four years. However, it took me another four years to actually really break that, um, kept going back. So 
I, I would have to say that was probably an eight-year relationship. And the last relationship lasted um, 13 years. And in all of those relationships, I gave myself up. I put everything uh, about me, all of my dreams, everything on a back burner. Um, my life was their life and um, fully immersed myself in that. After my last relationship, I had a marriage ceremony where I married myself there, hence my wedding ring. <laughs> mm. I married myself and I promised myself that I would love myself as much as I loved other people and that I would never, ever abandon myself again. So that came from years and years of giving myself away. I also feel like sometimes the, the more I give of myself and the, the positivity that I exude, so people, though people love that and are attracted to it, sometimes it puts people off. Sometimes people think I'm too much. I've often made the statement that uh, in a relationship, men particularly want to have a relationship with me. Um, and, and this isn't the right word to use, but they don't want to keep me. Um, that's not really the right word, but I mean... Can I interrupt you for a minute? Yeah. Um, only because I, uh, you're saying something that, that hit me. We have not talked about this before, but um, something that I've experienced and I've learned through my own journeys and struggles, which is a lot, a lot like you, which shouldn't be a surprise to me at all, um, is that they, my therapist that I was seeing explained to me how I often show up as a nurturer because I need that and how that's actually like kills relationships and kills sex lives and kills like that because you end up being especially if they have mom trauma yeah. or mom drama yeah. you end up filling that like so they they're they like their subconscious mind wants it they want that because they didn't have that figure really well and then you fall like us people are that are so good either are too much you know like so it's like oh and then they like they pull away completely or it's just like you're seen as a nurturer and then you lose that what makes you lovers versus just best friends or something. Is that, are you? Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and I will say that in the last two relationships, the eight year relationship and the last 14 year, 13 year relationship, I personally got to the point where I recognized I was being the mother and I didn't want to be anymore. I wanted them to, to be grownups. And so I'm like, I, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't end either of the relationships, but I was at a point where I was miserable because I was being the nurturer and really not receiving anything in return. Now, in a lot of relationships, you hear of like the mom getting lost, like giving, giving, giving to the children. And you had five kids, so that would be totally easy to understand. But in my, what I'm hearing, and so you can correct me, is that you actually were like giving up everything for your husband or your partner or whoever you were with at the time. Is there something like, do you... Cause this is, this is something that I feel like there's so much room to explore. And it's also where I think resiliency is like actually tested. Like, do you think what, what, what made you like lose it? So I know there's a concept of like gaslighting and there's a concept of trauma bonding and um, you know, and all those different things. Like how did someone who is so strong that has a personality that like you come in a room and you like everyone in the room falls in love with you. Um, how does someone like that become so small? You know, it goes back all the way to my birth, actually. My birth father, my biological father died 11 days before I was born. So though my mom loved me dearly and I was a bright light at, at the time, 
she had a broken heart. It had to be difficult to care for me, to nurture me. And I feel like because of that, I kind of grew up feeling alone, you know, all the time. And my mom remarried when I was five years old. I don't remember much of that. She tells me I was indifferent to the whole situation. When I was 10, my uncle, who was my stepdad's brother, um, sexually abused me. And um, I think from there, I took on that it was my fault. And so from all of those things compounding, I didn't feel like I was lovable, that I was worthy. That put always put me on the back burner. I, I wasn't good enough to, to be in the limelight. So I always put the person I fell in love with ahead of me. And yet you stand here today able to look back and say that was a, like with, like you were explaining to your, with your first marriage, you know, that was a verbally abusive marriage. And within that sort of terminology, there's a recognition that it wasn't okay. And a decision was made for you that this isn't okay. Like no more. Do you have a memory of like how that distinction rolled around for you? And like, even with these other, and the, and the subsequent relationships of like, even though you distinguish, like you weren't the one who ended it, you knew it was over. You weren't happy. You rec- you know, you were very aware of the unhappy emotions. And then today, like marrying yourself, bold step, right? And wearing the ring because someone might really want you and then see it and be like, oh, she's married and not come over. That's true. But like, to me, all of these are speak of big, bold moves. So was there a turning point or I'm guessing there were probably multiple turning points, but like, was there a first turning point where you were like, wait a minute, I am first. You know, in, in my first marriage, I knew from the beginning I shouldn't have gotten married, but I was 18 and pregnant and Catholic in 1975. So that's what you did. You didn't get a choice. No one gave you that choice. And so then the Catholic roots, I was bound and determined that I was going to make this work. And the only thing I ever really wanted growing up was to have a bunch of kids. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be married, I might as well at least have kids. So I had five kids, which made everybody think that, you know, this was a happy marriage. Uh, my youngest daughter was um, two and a half. And the year prior to ending the marriage, there were a lot of signs, um, just, a, just a, a, a lot of small things that came up for me. And the straw that broke the camel's back was a girlfriend asked me to go to Chicago with her. And um, I told my husband I was going to go. And he said, no, you're not. And I don't know, something inside of me just clicked. And I thought, yeah, I am. And he said, no, you're not going. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, no, if you go, we're getting a divorce. And that was it. I said, you know what? You're right. I'm going and we are getting a divorce. So it was kind of crazy. Um, And it, and at that point, I realized, um, you know, that that I had been doing things pretty much on my own. I mean, other than he was the breadwinner, but everything else I did on my own. And so I was like, I can take care of five kids by myself. I can do this. It wasn't until a little bit later when I was in therapy that my 
therapist, he was still verbally abusing me um, in phone conversations or when he would come by for the kids. And my therapist said, why do you do that? Why don't you just hang up the phone or leave the room? It had never occurred to me. Never, never occurred to me. So um, the next time that he was on the phone with me and verbally abused me, I said, I'm hanging up now. And I hung up and he called back and he said, you hung up on me. I said, and you will never ever speak to me like that again. And he never did. Didn't talk to me much after that. (laughs) He never spoke to me that way again. And we never spoke again. Doesn't sound like as much of a loss. (laughs) Yeah. So at that point, I recognized that, you know, people couldn't speak to me in that manner. And that if I was allowing it, that was on me. Now, the next relationship that I got into was a couple years down well, more than a couple of years because Aaron was almost six when I got into that next serious relationship, the one that lasted eight years that was supposed to be over after four. I allowed phys- physical abuse in that relationship. And nine times he um, hit, hit me. Um, the last time um, I thought I was going to die. And um, I, my kids weren't in the house at the time. I was on the floor. Um, he was heavily intoxicated and I was on the floor, cowered down with my hands over my head. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to die. And I don't know, he fell over or something and I was able to get myself out of the house. And, um, we had a conversation the next day and I said, this is never, ever going to happen again. And it never did. I didn't ask him to leave. He stayed. And, um, but then, you know, there were other things, but I, that, I think from that point on, I got stronger and was able to recognize that I deserved better than that. Um, I can't say how much longer after that last time, but I, I think probably another year went by before the, the relationship ended. And I ended that relationship as well um, because I didn't want to be his mother. I wanted him to be responsible. That's an interesting thing for me is that I have recognized that through all of my relationships, I was attracted to men who were carefree and didn't have responsibilities because I had a lot of responsibilities. And so that was really, really attractive to me. In the long run, it was very detrimental to me. (laughs) Um, And here I was, again, giving myself away, taking care of somebody that didn't want me to take care of them and I didn't need to be taking care of them. In my last relationship, I would have to say that, you know, we had a really great marriage for 12 years. The last year and a half was horrendous. And the last three months he um, spent gaslighting me and to the point that, and at the time I was an addiction counselor. So here I am counseling other people and he takes three months to convince me that I was mentally ill and needed help. And I almost, I, I almost fell for it. I mean, I was really, really close to thinking that, that there was something wrong with me and that I needed help. And um, then I was able to validate that what had happened, um, he was cheating. And um, I caught him in the act. And then that just, it just snapped right then. And I'm like, wow, we are so done. We are so done. And amazingly, I found out that in the 12 years that I thought were absolute bliss, there was so much going on that I just didn't know or 
maybe turned a blind eye to, I don't know, or didn't want to know. So I think that that happens a lot of times is that um, you don't see what's right in front of you um, because you don't want to see it. That betrayal was really, really difficult. Like I said, I was an addiction counselor and it tested everything that I had ever taught any of my clients, everything. And I then experienced everything that an addict goes through. I I experienced cravings. I experienced withdrawals. Um, I was on the floor in tears, hysterical thinking I'm going to die. I am just absolutely going to die um, without him in my life. And so that was um, a really, really low point. I picked up the phone and called him. You know, what does an addict do? They look for their fix. And his response to me was, I can't help you um, go to a meeting. And when I hung up the phone, I was like, wow, he really didn't care about me. And so um, that's when I started to pick myself up and um, it wasn't instant. It took five years of, or four and a half, I'll say. It took years of lots of work and, and I'm still working, you know, still doing things. What do you think the quality is in you or like the why or the drive for a lot of little kids when they have something happen to them? that they perceive, you know, that is traumatic in their perception, um, shut down completely. So I imagine the resiliency within you had to develop and show up as that kid. And I am someone who has not experienced um, sexual abuse from a family member or anything like that and stuff. So I, I can't speak of what I would, what it's done, but I would imagine that that could, you would have every right to completely crumble and give up when you're going through that experience at that age and for you to then rise up again through that. So you know, like I, I get in life that we can go and hit a hurdle and then you can find your resiliency and then go again. And it's like, okay, things are great. But when you actually continuously hit hurdles, I think in my own experience, it is exhausting to continue facing the hurdles. And sometimes I'm just like, I'm going to just run and slam into it and lay down. <laughs> like, I just need a break here. <laughs> so what, there has to be something within you. Just like if when you were little, if you remember something that you did or like when you were going through that, I I couldn't imagine going through that when you went through that um, with your family member. So like, is there something that got you through it or did you just, you know, like when I got sick when I was young, I didn't go through it or not go through it. I just didn't know there was a choice. So I just Uh like existed, you know, but my resiliency came later. Is there something that you knew that you, that like got you out of bed in the morning or that made you believe that there was something better down the road or like what made you hold on to hope? Well, initially when it happened, um, I was 10 years old. And I didn't think that there was anything wrong with it because he was a Catholic priest Mm. and priests don't do anything wrong. When you're 10 years old, you believe that they're, you know, they don't do anything wrong. A year later when I was 11 and I was in sex education class in school, I realized what happened was wrong, but it must've been my fault because he was a Catholic priest. So I must've done something. So I hid that. No one knew about it. I didn't bring it out into the open until I was 21. So I was very, very secretive and very, as a kid, um, I, I, this person that you see today, I was not like that as a kid. I was not, I was very shy. Um, I wasn't out there. 
So that I just held on to. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, after my first marriage ended, five kids were the reason to get up every day. I can tell you that this last breakup, this last major heartbreak, it was hard to get up every day because not only did I lose my husband, um, I also lost my business partner because we ran the cuddling business together. So in a split second, I lost um, my husband and my business. So pretty much my whole world just tumbled down. And um, that happened in um, June of 2015. In September of 2015, I reopened my own cuddling business. And honest to God, that was my saving grace. That's what saved me for sure in that in that instance. Um, that's that's why I got up every day because I knew that there were other people out there like me that needed that needed that. Would you say like the cuddling, that whole concept in that world is your like passion, your purpose? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Providing healing that way. Could you explain it just for the listeners so they understand that kind of healing? So professional cuddling, interestingly enough, it's actually been around since I think it started in the 80s um, in California. There was a young man that went to um, UC of Berkeley. Um, do not know what his name is. I think if you Googled him, you would find him. He is the only student at UC of Berkeley that never wore a shirt the entire four years that he went to college. They could not, they, you know, tried to make him wear a shirt, but they could never find anything in the bylaws or anything that said he had to wear a shirt to school. So they finally just gave up and the guy never wore a shirt the entire four years. He started the cuddling back then. Now he was also a male stripper. So don't know how much of his story <laughs> is <laughs> applicable. Uh, and then there was a woman in, um, uh, the state of um, Oregon, who uh, started her business in uh, somewhere around 2000, I think. And when she and her boyfriend split up, she started cuddling. And the way she did it was she just contacted, put it on, uh, put an ad on Craigslist and she would meet somebody at Starbucks. And if she felt comfortable, she'd say, okay, let's go cuddle. It's probably in, let's see, it's in Texas, California, Oregon, Colorado, Florida, Chicago, um, New York, St. Louis. I think that's about, about it. So it's only, it's in about eight states and cuddling is um, strictly platonic. Both parties are fully clothed. It is physical touch, closeness. It's imparting the feeling of, of being nurtured and cared for. It is non-sexual. Um, although, you know, sometimes when you're that close to a person, things can come up. And so if it does, we just change positions or take a break if necessary. Now, I don't really know how other people run their cuddling practices. Mine starts out with a conversation and um, a deep explanation of what cuddling actually is. Because in the state of Missouri, and actually countrywide, people in our culture, cuddling just isn't a thing. People think that if you're that close to someone, you have to have sex. And so my role is to teach people boundaries. So we start with a conversation, um, you make an appointment, and then when you come to see me, the first thing we do is sit down and go over the rules. And then uh, we do a boundary exercise because most people don't understand that it's okay to say no. 
And so that that they think no is a bad word. That if you say no to someone, you are um, people take it personally. People take no personally. So I teach people that no is not um, to hurt someone's feelings. It's not an affront to someone. No is protecting yourself. No is knowing what you need and what you want and stating it clearly and asking permission. And so that is how I start a cuddling session is, is with the boundaries. I've actually done um, one of your boundary workshops with you and it was incredibly powerful. And it was amazing even to be in this work and to be, you know, like uh, a practitioner of this work and certified in this work to realize, to feel how uncomfortable it was when someone said no to you, like you, there yeah. was that like awkwardness, you know, cause we did that part, like, do I have your permission, you know, to like elbow to elbow or something? And yeah. If someone said no, or if I just said there were, you know, because they, we, you end up partnering, um, Laura, we partnered with different strangers in the rooms, like we moved in different ways. So some people you just didn't, they would ask if they could touch you in a certain way. And they just said, and I'd be, there was someone and I remember just, I don't know what it was, but he triggered a memory of, of someone in my past. And I just was not, and I was like, uh, toe to toe. And we just, I, you know, like, cause she said that we could offer something different. He wanted to like a bear hug or something. And he, that there was a trigger feeling uh, caught and stuck by him. And so I was like, well, how about toe to toe? Like, but it was such a powerful exercise because I'm in that work and I always ask people permission stuff, but it was, you gave the other side of it also, which is like, how do you receive a yes or a no? Or how do you receive, I don't know what word you use, but you, um, you allowed us to like, come up with a second idea, you know, like, okay, I'm not willing to do that, but I'm, I love doing the boundary workshops and, um, the, the best is to, to be able to partner groups of people that don't know each other. And so the first exercise we start out with is, um, something really simple and you're going to say, yes. So, um, could I shake your hand? And, and the response is going to be yes. So then the second exercise is, um, to, to say no, and when we do this, we do it in groups of at least three, maybe four, so that you get three no's or four no's so that you hear it consistently. So um, the, the exercise is, you know, ask them, can I touch your face? And they are going to, whether they w would normally say yes or not, they're going to say no. And so you're going to hear no repeatedly. And then um, the third exercise is modification. Modification, that was it, yeah. So, so the person's going to ask you, um, could I uh, bump elbows with you? And you're going to say, like Katie did, no, but we could touch toes. So that's how, um, how I get people to, to understand that, you know, it, it's okay to set your boundaries. Cuddling isn't for everybody. There are people that have gone through traumas that, that don't like to be touched. And by the same token, there is such a thing as using touch therapy to bring people out of that. When I bought my car in Ohio uh, in uh, 2016, my salesman, I think he was 25, 26, something like that. And um, he said, well, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a professional cuddler. You've probably never heard of that. And he said, oh my gosh, can I have a hug? And I said, seriously, you know what that is? And he said, yeah. He said, I was adopted when I was 10 years old. He said, and I had separation anxiety. So I went to a therapist who cuddled me to get me over the separation anxiety. I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about how, you know, you go through this, th this third 
totally devastating heartbreak. You know, it sounds, it, it sounds like it was even bigger than the, the first divorce, bigger than leaving an abuser. You know, this was a really big heartbreak. Um, and you relaunch your cuddling business. And what is so striking to me, what's standing out here is that you are a master of teaching how to set boundaries and mm -hmm. teaching people how to look inside and recognize that feeling of something's not right here and to teach the response no. And then to hear the response of being with a no to learn the art of, you know, modification or counter offers. And, and it is like the opposite of what was happening in that first marriage, the second yep. marriage, you know, and, and even, even, you know, as you were going through the throes of addiction, right. To the third person having to hear a no from him, there's nothing I can do to help you right now. and and, and, you know, even like the way you described it, you internalized it while well, he never cared about me. Like it wasn't just a no that it was just a no, like, and then, and then suddenly here you are for, you know, four years later, I, I might be getting the timer, I don't know the timeline, but anyway, but like today you're a powerfully teaching people how to get in touch with understanding those boundaries. Um, I'm just like, like awestruck by that. Can you talk a little bit more about what that's like to be, practicing this and teaching this and have the, that in your past? So, uh, yeah, so I definitely did not have boundaries for the biggest part of my life. Um, one of the things I learned about boundaries is that your boundaries, your ability to say no is generally set by your first sexual experience, be that a good sexual experience or be that a bad sexual experience. So my sexual experience at age 10 took away my ability to say no. So I didn't think that I had um, the right to say no. And I didn't learn that until I was 60 years old. Um, so, so through the years, I, I did not have boundaries. I had no boundaries and I did not protect myself because I couldn't say no. When that last heartbreak happened, and you're right, that it was it was devastating for me. Um, my whole life turned upside down. It was the life I thought that I was going to have forever, um, and so everything changed. And um, I, I had to evaluate, you know, what what had happened to me, and uh, learned that you know boundaries were so important and I didn't have any. And so I needed to, uh, so I started doing research on that and just learning as much as I could. And I am so much more happier knowing <laughs> that I do now have good boundaries. Um, and I, and I love teaching it to other people because people don't, most people have never been taught that it is okay to have boundaries. I, I think a lot of people think, you know, that boundaries are, um, um, offensive to other people and they're not, it's, it's about keeping yourself safe. And, and it's really caring about other people as well, because you're honoring their boundaries too. When you think of the word boundaries, as you now have the ability to apply them in your life, what are boundaries to you? What do they, what do they represent? What have they freed up for you? What have they allowed in your life? 
So um, boundaries for me represent my personal space. And when I say my personal space, it could be physical, but it's also emotional. It's my taking care of me and my worth. Um, it's, it's recognizing that I am worthy and that I, um, I have the final say on how um, people love me, how people um, treat me, how people care for me. I think that was exactly it. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that it's love. Boundaries are love. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what you've been searching for this whole time. Absolutely. And Katie, <laughs> uh, you um, asked me earlier about how, about resiliency, how I could keep going. And I'm just going to throw in, you know, why do I continue to have relationship after relationship? And why do I still look for, for relationships? Um, because I believe in love and I, I just can't stop that. Um, love is, love is the answer. Um, you know, love heals. You can't be in, in fear and love at the same time. So you have to, you have to come from a space of love. You, it, it just, everything is about love. And, um, I still believe in love and, um, I recognize now that I have so much love in my life. Um, I may not have a significant other at this point in my life, but my life is so full of friends and family and um, myself that there is no emptiness there. Um, there's definitely room for somebody. But, uh, <laughs> Listeners. Um, yes. Well, and, but the difference now is that I don't need somebody to fill a space. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody would definitely be welcome and, and would enhance my life. But I know that I am whole and loving and lovable just the way I am. I was just going to say incredible to feel that completeness on your own. It is. It is. It's amazing. Yeah. To, to, to recognize the relationships that you have to recognize the relationship with yourself, to be complete and within that completeness, there is space for not just significant others, but others, period. Yes, and, others, yeah. And then the, and, and it's just remarkable to me that the access point for that, the thing that creates the space for love is boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's, yeah. How to be with and deliver a yes, how to be with and deliver a no, how to be with and deliver a modification and suddenly there's like, you know, all the words you use to describe boundaries, like, like, I think if you looked at it in the dictionary, it would say like, you know, the, the restriction of space, but what you describe it is the creation of space. It's the yeah. creation of that space. And it's, ah, I'm like blown away. You're amazing. <laughs> I told you, I told you. And I want to say something, um, Leslie. So the part that I admire about you and, and something that I what I think, you know, resiliency is built in my own, in my own opinion and in the course and stuff that I've created is that I think a, a beautiful part of it and a necessary part of it is knowing to not judge yourself. And it's, and what you do incredibly well. And what I like invite everyone to do is to be able to observe what you're doing. So you don't, you know, we're human. So it doesn't matter if you're 20, 40, 60, 80, or a hundred, like you can make mistakes. It's not about being perfect. But I, what I love is that, you know, it's like, okay, oh, this person, like so-and-so, you know, maybe was I giving too much again? Like, I know that's my old pattern, 
and then you don't beat yourself up and be like, why am I going back to being the people? Please? It's just like, oh, I wonder why I did that. Or I wonder what, you know, what they did that lured me back in and stuff. And I love how you use things as an observation of growth an observation of um, just a deeper understanding and a deeper love to come back to yourself. Okay. I did that. I either want to do that again. I don't want to do that again, or just, it was fine. And it doesn't matter. How can I be better tomorrow? How can I like, and I, that's something that I really observe and have learned a lot from you. Um, within your course, but more so just watching you, witnessing you in life is that you're open to hear stuff. You're so willing, you know, like the coachable word, but you're you're so present to knowing that almost like how people respond to a yes or a no, like we're normal. Our society has made you feel like a no is a rejection, almost like feeling like if someone critiques you or gives you constructive criticism, it's it's a rejection or you don't see any of that. And it's, and it's, it's like, it's incredible because it's so powerful because you don't take it as someone's truth. Like where you used to take these men saying, you know, this is it. And you're like, that's my, that's how I'm defined. Now you're able to take it just like the other things, just like with boundaries. I mean, and balance it in and say, am I going to receive this? Am I going to release this? Am I going to grow from this? Or, you know, or is this nonsense? And I think that's so incredible. So your, your like lessons from your whole life, your way of resiliency creating an entire company about it, like it, it ripples in the most incredible ways to teach people. And so when Laura just said like how, you know, like restricted versus like just creating the space and stuff, it's absolutely incredible and powerful because I watch you as a living person be able to do that. And you and I do love exceptionally hard and fierce. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't, yes. yeah, and I'll never pull back. People always right. are like, you know, like, don't you think, cause even when I'm too much, it's like, cool. Then I'm too much for them. But like, that, that's just what I run on. But I do know that I can get caught up in like giving someone a, oh my God, I'm on like the 250 millionth chance, you know, like there. And I know that you and I get caught up in stuff like that. So it's, I just love that you learn from it because it reminds me to have more grace for myself. Yeah. I, I once uh, had a conversation with my brother and I said, you know, uh, he talked about how loving and caring I was and, and about giving people second chances and third chances. And um, I said, you know, sometimes I feel like that's a, a defect in me. Um, because I give too many chances. And he said, oh, no, that's absolutely not a defect. More of us should have that. I, I will say that since, um, so so it's been five years, it was uh, June two, 2015, when my life imploded. And I have had a few dates since then. And I had one relationship that um, probably lasted about six months. And then I uncovered that he was married and I immediately just stopped. I said, we can't do this anymore. And um, I was really proud of myself because that wasn't the, the old me would not have the old me would have tried to figure out how to, you know, keep this going because it's what I needed. Um, mm. But I ended it immediately. And so I was really proud that I had had learned my boundaries. Mm. You know, it's something that's present for me right now is that all of this has happened for you at age 60, right? Right, right. Yes. And, and I think so many of us, particularly, you know, as we're, as we move along in life, we can't imagine that it's still possible to learn and change, you know? So, so often I think that we think that, you know, I've been like this, you know, for this long, this must just be how I am. And, you know, so what would you, 
I mean, what would you say to somebody who is younger than you and stuck in their ways or like, or to somebody even older than you about transformation and, and when it occurs and how to, how to get there? So, um, I would tell people that transformation can happen anytime. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, I get really, really excited when I meet young people that are on a transformation journey. Um, because I say to them, oh my gosh, I started getting into the transformational stuff at age 30, but none of it really clicked until the the big breakup. And so I was 58. And so um, I, I applaud young people that get into it early. Um, but the same thing, I, I work with women my age and older, and I tell them, you know, it's never too late to, to make changes. Um, nobody is set in their ways. Nothing is, is stuck. And um, I, I do numerology as well. And um, numbers will tell you um, a lot about your life and that you, you can do things differently. Um, it's kind of a guidebook. And so, yeah, so I would, I would tell anybody, you know, just, just start, um, take a look and, um, you know, what, what have you got to lose? You, you're just going to get on a bad, better path. I think that uh, this is an amazing spot to bring in a little bit of play. What do you think, Katie? I think it would be perfect. We just do a really quick game. What it is, is you have 30 seconds. I'm going to name a color and you, without any thought, no rules, don't create any. Um, you're just going to go find something that's that color. Okay. And you have 30 seconds. We're going to pick, I'm picking the color red. Okay, Leslie, tell us about your object. Um, it is a um, red, it's an ornament, but it's made from um, natural um, twine, all that. twine yeah, not twine, but like sticks, like, you know. Um, did you make it? No, I did not make it. Um, and then it was sprayed red and it has glitter on it. So it is a Christmas ornament, but it sits in a jar here. Hold on. I should have just picked up the whole jar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it has apples in it too. So these are little, little shiny apples. And so it started out as a Christmas decoration, but it, it just has, has stayed out all year for years now. It's at my mom's house. <laughs> I, lo I love how sparkly it is. I know. I Red and glitter are basically my two favorite things in the entire universe. Ah. So <laughs> I would never put that away. <laughs> if somebody got that for me, it would be out all the time. And probably <laughs> I would move it to whatever room I could see it in. <laughs> Laura, what did you find? Uh, behind me on my bookshelf, I have a whole bunch of red books that are from Gallup. Um, and this one is the Strengths Finder 2.0, Discover Your Clifton Strengths, uh, which we did recently for as part of an exercise at work. And, uh, so I did the little test and got my strengths and none of it is a surprise at this point. I've done so many personality <laughs> assessments as part of like self-development work. And, you know, I like, it started with like a, a job I had at Christmas at Lululemon years, years and years ago and continues into my work today. <laughs> um, but you know, let me know just in case I wasn't aware that I'm a connector and a creator and, uh, you know, an innovative thinker outside the box. Don't come to me when you want your work complete. Come to me when you want an idea of what you should do. Like, 
<laughs> Although I'm working now on learning how to do complete work. And I, that's something I've taught myself how to do, like bridging the gap of your, of the places where you aren't as strong, but like that. Yeah. So it was pretty funny. It was a pretty funny experience. I was, I took this and I was like, but I could just tell you what it's going <laughs> to, what it's going to say is save the company $18. My boss was like, no, we're all going to do it in the same language. And I was like, all right, no surprises here. <laughs> this person is an extrovert. What? (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding? Well, this is mine. Mine is a pull behind little um, teardrop camper because I feel like with a Christmas tree on top um, and a little wreath. And so, and it has Christmas lights all around it. I actually have it out year round, like your, like your mother with her, uh, um, red things. And I love it. And the reason why I actually, right when I picked it, I was like, Oh my God, that's so like Laura knows my wandering spirit. Cause she's known me forever, just like as the free spirit. And I feel like if anyone was to go travel in this with me, it would be Leslie. Like, yes. <laughs> we would pack up yes. Just be like, we're bringing our tree. We're going, let's go. So I wanted to share that. Cause I think that's fun. That's why I actually picked red. I looked in front of me and I was like, oh, uh, ornament, the ornament that reminds me of Leslie. <laughs> Leslie, where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more about boundary setting, cuddling, coaching, whatever, all of the things that you're up to? Where where do we send them? Okay, well, I have two Facebook pages. Uh, one of them is uh, for my cuddling. It is called Cuddle Me Now STL. So Cuddle Me Now, STL, that is uh, where you find me for cuddling information. And then my other page is This Amazing Life. Um, and that's more about the coaching um, workshops, boundaries are there too. But boundaries are on the cuddling too. So those are the two places. Fantastic. And we're also going to link those in the show notes for all the listeners. And it is time for, oh, this is the hardest part. It's the time to say goodbye. But our final segment, we do it with pizzazz. It is called Get Out of Here. With a Boston accent. Get out of here. (laughs) And so uh, the idea here, our game uh, of how we leave the podcast is if you could get out of here into any imaginary world, whether it's from a movie or a book or a television show or, you know, a game, some, something, something that, that, uh, is playful and, 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 but it has to be make-believe can't be a real place. Where would you today, right now in this moment, get out of here to a uh, big fluffy cloud in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> like with it. the Care Bears. Uh, yes. Yes. That would be perfect. Yes. I could see you totally being in their lineup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Laura, where would you go? They do have that ability. I, all right. So I, the listeners can't see it, but I have a shirt on and it, it says, uh, it's got like a little imaginary animal critter in, and he's got a scroll and a sword and he's adventuring and it says, I'm not procrastinating. I'm doing a side quest. <laughs> so hopefully that, that got picked up on the microphone because I did step away from my microphone right there to show you guys. But um, so I think that I'm going to like disappear into the world of the legend of Zelda where I'm, I'm Link and I'm on an adventure and I am accomplishing things. And all the side quests are awesome. <laughs> and so 
I learn something on all the side quests. I get a little stronger on the side quest. People might think I'm distracted from the main program, but no, <laughs> I'll get there. I'm I just, but I will have completed all of the things on my way there. All of the skills will be mine. I will have made it, but I'm on an adventure. There is a direction. <laughs> So that's, and it's whimsical. I like whimsy. Uh, I will share mine. So recently, as of yesterday, there's a new game system in the house where I am called a Nintendo Stitch, Switch. 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 Um, (laughs) And I am going to pick the new game that I got to try yesterday called Animal Crossing. Oh my gosh, that's so perfect for you. (laughs) Oh my God, Leslie, have you seen anyone play it? Yes. Okay. I was just exposed to it. I could listen to those little voices talk all day because it's what I like imagine the chipmunks and squirrels talk like in my yard. (laughs) And I grew up with like uh, at least 80 oak trees in our yard. I was sitting there and I was so happy and I was just, I wasn't playing, but I was watching it. And then I was normally if there's a video game on, I'm quickly leave the room. I have like, I'm repelled, like I, I go away. And then I sat down and I just kept watching and it was like, I didn't want Timmy and Tommy to stop talking. And then (laughs) I ended up later making my own character. (laughs) So Katie Lovebomb is on there now, but I accidentally hit male. So it's like uh, a male with pigtails. So it's a, it's unique. Yeah. So I would go there because I only played for a teeny little bit and I don't understand. So I basically just ran in circles. I feel like that's the game. I don't, I ha, I have not played Animal Crossing since the original version of it many years ago, but I think you're doing it right. I picked up sticks. There you go. Done. And Woo. I was happy. So, that's but the- then I learned one of the other games that they have is Zelda. And I was like, oh, that, oh, and I said, I asked who something was. And they, I was like, what? It looks like a woman with worms or something in her hair. And he said, that's Link. It sounds like we're all getting out of here to some unique and fun and whimsical worlds. And with that, it's time to get out of here. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you so much, Leslie. You're welcome. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us that sweet five-star review. It helps people find us and makes our hearts ever so happy. You can follow me, Laura Ingalls, at LJ Ingalls on Instagram and Twitter. And me, Katie Lasky, at Katie Lovebomb on Instagram. Or follow the pod at Rad Resilient Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And check us out on the web at RadicalResiliencePodcast.com. However you find us out there in this virtual world, know that we are so glad you're here. We love you and we'll see you next week. <laughs>